and tell you of our Saltant. stories of civilian days present on the podcast today. We take your questions and answer them with fan questions. And we have the news on the East Coast. I'm Walter. And on the West Coast, we have JT. JT, what is going on? So, do you have any milk in your fridge? I do. That's kind of a random question, I know. You want to know why I'm going with this? Well, you showed me a book before the podcast that had something to do with cows. And you said you're going to talk about that book. Yeah. <laughs> So, I have an inkling. And I did ask if you had milk in your fridge before we started recording. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, so if you were going to take a guess, how many people do you think would be impacted, just ballpark, from the cow to your fridge in that gallon of milk? Just with that specific yeah, gallon like of milk? Yeah, how many people do you think took to make that gallon of milk in your fridge safe to consume and you have faith in the system oh that's easy there's a clearly a farmer clearly he milked the cow probably by hand i would assume yeah or by he, machine uh his wife you know homogenized it she walked it down to the local deli yeah. deli packed it and they uh, sent it off to the local supermarket supermarket puts it in their shelves stock boy puts it in there so i'm guessing a solid four people yeah you're you're completely wrong i i'm pretty sure i'm right on this one well, if you lived in the 1800s, you're probably right. Um, yeah, that's probably about right. However, if you think about common life, there's so many things that are intricate. And this goes back, I mean, this is kind of uh, submarine life right here. This is submarine 101. You think about how many people take to run a submarine, and if one person doesn't do their job effectively, how many people it affects. Everybody on the submarine could die, right? Mm-hmm. So if the farmer doesn't um, clean the receptacles that Hold go on, on the teats. Hold on a second. Yeah. Kind of going into that, because we are a uh, podcast that educates the masses, uh, going into that, what JT means is that people on, everyone on the submarine, when you get submarine qualified, yeah. uh, you, you basically have, you know, you may have one role, you're you may have one competent role or main job, one main job, but you have other collateral duties on the submarine. So you may be, let's say you're a cook, you know, you may be the person that cooks, but you also have collateral duties like first responder to, to a fire, or you may be part of the, uh, the bandit team for flooding or, or you know, you may have different, you have different roles uh, with different situations. And so if that person is out for the count for whatever reason, those other roles are affected. So if you have someone that's not going to grab a CO2 extinguisher during a fire, or you have someone who's not going to, you know, man the, man the sound-powered phones, um, and yes, we have sound-powered phones on the submarine, um, that could affect other people and that could affect the lives of the others. So, yeah, every every single person, no matter how, uh, how small their job may sound, if they're submarine qualified, that doesn't just affect the one job that they're doing. It affects several jobs uh, down the line. Yeah. We had, and we had, a, there was an incident where we had an illness running rampant on the Ooh, sub. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, the plague. People were down for, we were, uh, we were light limited. We were, we were hurting. Yeah, that was that was bad. And and we'll tell that story sometime. We'll tell yeah, we, tell that story next week. Back to my initial point that you uh, interjected in. Thank you very much. I had to help. 
There you go. That's good. That's it's a team effort here um, on Diver Tough. So if you think about how many people takes to uh, engineer a gallon of milk for you, if one of those guys uh, does it wrong, uh, your milk is not suitable for drinking. So it's really interesting if you think about it, how many things you take for granted every single day. I mean, I and just a little aside here, uh, I, I like thinking about things that are somewhat obvious or seemingly obvious and when you actually think about them, they're actually not all that obvious. So, gallon of milk, I never thought about this until I read this book. There's like a thousand people. If you think about all the people that are, you know, have a job or responsibility as far as the farmer, the person that manufactures the nozzles that go on the teats of the cow, the, the mm-hmm. people that make the iodine that cleans the teats after they get done, the vet. Antibiotics. That, yeah, the, the antibiotics, the... The vet that takes care of the cows, the person that transports, the yeah, the, the the person that cleans the tubing systems on the t on the, you know on the, the nozzles that go into the holding tank, the person that cleans the holding tank, the person that hauls the milk from the holding tank to the distributor, the person that pasteurizes, all the FDA people that do inspections, the people that test the milk. I mean, it's just like you can just keep going on and on and on, and it's really really interesting to me to think about how complicated our world is and how much we take for granted, you know, getting into a car and driving to work every day. You have to trust how many people that know how to drive every single day and maybe more so in New Jersey than in California. But um, mm-hmm. you have to you have to have a, a tremendous amount of faith in the people that design stoplights and intersections and other people that are driving their cars, the car manufacturers to make sure that there's no defects in the automobiles I mean, pedestrians that don't jaywalk when they're not supposed to. It's like the variables when you think about how complicated life is. Mm-hmm. And um, I would just say, you know, don't take life for granted. Life is a lot more complicated than we think about. And uh, you so know, you want us, is is your point that you want us all to milk our own cows? Uh, no, no. I, I I would say my my point is take an appreciation for how complicated things are. You know, like when you when you go to the grocery store and you are able to buy whatever the heck you want. That's that's a that's a really cool thing. That's I, a, that's like a really really cool thing. And I didn't even think about that until I. I mean, I I thought about that, but it, when somebody articulated to me all of the different variables of a gallon of milk coming to production from a cow, and how many variables for error or many how many spots for error there are in that process it's unbelievable it's absolutely unbelievable um and I mean, there's a, a million products that are like that a bazillion products that are like that if you think about it like back in the day 18th century 19th century even before that a farmers market was your supermarket and what yeah. what can you get at a farmers market i mean at the time it was just it was just anything that's local you know, you might have a two or three types of cured meat or something mm-hmm. and, and standard vegetables, but you're not getting kale and okra and you know, you're not getting all these fancy, fancy cheese. Things, you know? yeah. But now, you, I mean, farm, farmer's markets are a novelty now. Yeah. Um, and we go to those and we're like, ooh, fresh stuff. You know, this is the farmer that actually picked it. And so you're cutting out all the 999 middlemen yeah. in the middle. Uh, but you go to a supermarket and you have everything. Absolutely everything. You know, you've got things from every single ocean around the world. Yep. Um, you know, you have uh, every uh, every type of baked good from every type of region 
and religion and all that stuff. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, yeah, I think we take that stuff for granted. In other news, yeah. I met my neighbor. Ooh, tell me about it. I met it. one of my rich, neighbors. A rich so, person? Well, uh, no, well, no, rich <laughs> rich in culture, but uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe not rich uh, in monetary standards. Uh, so I moved. I am currently in a new place. I'm currently figuring out what to do with the dog. So the dog is... The dog is uh, roughly nine months old, and uh, he is a handful, absolute handful. And he he's a barker. He I can't leave him out of the, I can't leave him out in the house, or else he tears things. I just tears everything apart. Um, and so and just, just uh, if if you're gonna make the benchmark, you know they say seven dog years is one human year. So he's probably the equivalent of a five and a half year old. Yeah. So imagine yeah, he, leaving a five and a half year old around all day. In your house, yeah. free roam, and expecting them to yeah. be responsible. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, so uh, I can't leave it. So I'm crate training him at the moment. I had to resort to a bark collar. Tested the bark collar out on myself. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. How did that work out? It's, it's, it's humane. It gives okay. you a little, gives you a little, oh, you know? See, gives you, a little, you know what? I I absolutely see that's what that's one of the many things I like about you. You you have a very commonsensical approach to things. You would not subject somebody to something that you personally wouldn't do. Yeah, no, no, definitely not. Whether it's a human I, uh, or an animal. Lead by example. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh yeah, so that's I good. put the I I tested the bark collar out um at the highest intensity. It didn't give me a shock, but it gave me How like a little... How did you bark? Demonstrate a bark. Is this like a Hillary Clinton bark? No, no. It gives you... You can test it by putting your fingers on the probes, okay. and you can I, give it a I, nice... I just imagine in my brain, okay? In my brain, I imagine Walter sitting in your house, barking like a dog. And then seeing if he could trigger the bark. Blow. And just go... Like a, a quick blow like that against the sensor, and then it'll, it'll light up, and uh, it'll... It'll shock you, it, but it doesn't really shock you, and it and uh, the dog doesn't care. He, he barks, 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 and it, it goes off, and he doesn't care. Um, so, I've been trying a few different things out. He's he gets out and he tears out. You know, at first we have this really big crate for him. Uh, keep him in the crate. That feels inhumane. So, I cordoned off an area, uh, the laundry room, and his crate. So I push the crate up against the, the laundry room, and he goes in there. He's he's in there. I've got a little dog camera in there with that dispenses treats, so I can watch him from work, and then I can shoot a treat out. I can talk to him. Also, like I'm, I'm trying to be humane about this, you know. You leave you leave your five year old in a, in the laundry room. You want to you want to be nice about it, right? <laughs> you don't do that, by the way. FYI, okay. If you do that, yeah. you go to jail, and you should. Yeah, that's I um yeah. So so I've been trying to do whatever I can. So what I do now is I. I leave him in the crate for a couple of hours. I come back home for lunch, take him for a walk, um, and I hang out with him for about you know, 30, 30, 45 minutes, and I'll go back to work. Well, I was like, well, I got this big backyard. Why don't I just put him on a, you know, put him on a, a line and let him roam around the backyard? And so put his bark collar on and let him roam around the backyard, and he got a little tangled around one of the posts. Um, and you know, uh, when I came back home, he was a little tangled, but he was fine. You know, nothing crazy. Didn't hurt himself. I was like, oh, this is great. Nothing torn up in the house. Cause what happens was I'd come home and I'd spend the next hour 
cleaning up after the dog. Like he'd, you know, make a mess and like yeah. tear things apart and like all this, you know, doing uh, doing stuff that uh, happens when when you leave a dog alone. Um, and so the next day, I was like, all right, this is gonna work. Leave him in the backyard, call it a day. I don't have to worry about it. Leave him some food, leave him some water, give him his bed. He's all set. This is this is awesome. I got I got you know, and I come home and I can I can chill out without having to worry about uh, having to clean up after the dog. So yeah, yesterday or not not yesterday, uh, a couple days ago, came come home uh, during lunch and I'm uh, taking the dog out to use the bathroom in the backyard. Uh, from across the backyard, it's one of those backyards where there's houses adjacent. You know, there's yeah. you know yeah. house to the right and the left and a house directly behind me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm taking him out to use the bathroom, and I'm literally I'm picking up his, uh, his mess uh, in the backyard. And uh, I, I just hear, hi, hi. And I look up, and way off, the neighbor directly behind me, I, this, this lady who's uh, dressed in her, in her finest tights uh, and uh, sweatshirt. She, uh, or no, no, uh, an oversized T-shirt and tights. Says, hi. Tights being sweats, but she's overweight, so uh, they are tight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she's like, "Hey, don't leave your dog in the backyard." I was like, "That's a good uh, accent. I like that. That's I'm, good." She's she's British. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, she, uh, she. I was like, I thought, oh shoot, the dog's barking. I was like, I'm sorry. Was he barking? Was he barking a bunch? She's like. Don't leave your dog in the backyard. I was like, okay, what is uh, what's what's the problem? She's like, your dog is in the backyard, and there's bears that come right through here. And I was worried sick, and you do not leave your dog in the backyard. That's abuse, though. You're a fifty-pound dog. It's not going to do anything against a five-hundred-pound bear, and you can't leave him out there. She's shaking. She's physically shaking. As she's telling me all this, and I'm like, hey, you know, hey, I apologize. You know, I didn't mean to offend you. You know, I, w- I won't leave him out in the backyard. And she's like, there's deer, there's fox, there's bear, and your dog is going to die. Your dog is going to die. I was like, all right. She's like, a neighbor got pummeled and put in the hospital by a deer. What is it going to do to your dog? You do not leave your dog out here. That is abuso. It's abuso. Abuso? <laughs> So A B Alpha Bravo Uniform Sierra Oscar Abuso. It's um hmm. apparently it's a uh, it's a word. I guess that Southerners use. I don't know. It's a word. I don't know. I think she meant abusive, but she uh uh had one too many uh hits in the head or something. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, she was like visibly disturbed that I did this, and the fact that she was like, she had this like shit, like kind of Tourette'sy like shake about her. I was like, oh, this is a person that's not completely stable. Something's wrong here. And so I was like, hey, you know, uh, I literally moved in a couple of weeks ago. I apologize. Uh, I won't. I won't leave him in the backyard. And so take the dog inside. Smash cut to the day before yesterday. Okay. I get a knock on the door. Mm. Open the door. Guess who it is? That lady? Lady came over. What? She came over to apologize. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out she uh, might be on some heroin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she, she, was uh, more, she was more normal when she came the second time? Uh, Yeah. She came over 
she came over apologizing. You know, I've, I've, I'm on a finite amount of time. And she comes over and she was basically telling me about the neighborhood and telling me that she was mortified and that she felt bad for yelling at me. Here's this new neighbor that came over and um, she says she's from, she's, she's a, She's a city girl, and she comes, uh, you know, and she she's the kind of girl that's hard as nails, that goes into the subway, 4 o'clock in the morning, pissed drunk, uh, and that's the kind of girl that she is. But now she moved into this town, and it's nice and... Uh, it's a nice hootie podunk town, and that's kind of what she likes. We do have a heroin problem, but the police are all over that. Um, there's a community garden if you need to go to a community garden. And then she proceeds to show me videos of bears and stuff like that on her phone. She had her phone right there, and she's like, I can show you these videos. And I was like, eh, that's not necessary. Here, let me show you these videos. <laughs> and she it's mentioned like that one she, of those things you have to come up with, like, a fake emergency to uh, get out of this, right? I told, her, I told her three times that I had to go to work. I was like, you know, I appreciate it. I got to go to work. I really do appreciate you coming over. And she's like, oh, it's okay. Blah, blah, blah. And she just continues the conversation. <laughs> 45 minutes I stood there. 45 oh. minutes listening to this woman uh, go on about how there's a... She mentioned three times that there's a heroin problem in the area. Okay. But otherwise, it's a nice area. <laughs> so, <laughs> take that for what it's yeah, worth. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, bear problem. Uh, she mentioned she's in her 20s uh, two times. Uh, however... She's not in her 20s. She looks like she's in her 50s. Okay. Uh, I would have never guessed she's in her 20s. Uh, once again, came in her, came over in her best tights and uh, paint-stained T-shirt. Wow. Uh, and just was twitching all over the place, moving and twitching all over the place. But that was my welcome to the neighborhood. The reason why I came out here, it's it's actually a nice area. Yeah. And there, it's a uh, it's on a lake, and uh, it's uh, yeah. Apparently, though, I got some hair. I got some heroin in the in New Jersey. You, uh, the Northeast, I think, has a problem with that, but. Um... You uh you dealt with that very graciously. I have to uh give you the silent high five here because you know that's that's a good uh it's a good job on you, man. I uh, no, you know like, hey, I don't really care what you want to say. You uh disrespected me and shut the door in her face. I uh I am very very good about um being diplomatic. Yes, you are. Diplomacy is my strong suit. I I will not uh I'm diplomatic. I give everyone the benefit of the doubt. I always want to Try to do what is reasonable with people. Mm. So, what, are you gonna you gonna leave the dog out anymore? No, no. She's uh she spies on me, and I think she might have a little bit of a crush on me. <laughs> wow. It's, it's a it's a small town, but we have a very nice web page. You should check out the web page. Oh, also don't forget to register your dog. There is a community garden. I've got a nice little plot of land in the community garden. If you want to take part in that and plant something, you can use my plot. Sounds very friendly. She sounds very friendly. She was, yeah, she was very nice. It was very, I, I commend her because that little display, which I know you would never do and I would never do upon first meeting someone, um, that, that display was obviously a, uh, was obviously not something you want to do. The fact that she came over and apologized afterwards was also a good, um, you know, yep. she's, her barometer is somewhere, you know, pointed north, right? So her barometers do that, right? Yeah, no, no, they don't point in directions. Those are called compasses. <laughs> I know. I just wanted I wanted to make sure you were listening to what I was saying. All right, I, yeah. I, I I throw these things in there just to make sure that I'm not. Anyway, you want to jump into some fan questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Why do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions about hate and death right. and war. So we have another segment of fan questions for you folks tonight. And uh, if you haven't been around, we have a number of episodes that we've done these before. You ask us anything, nearly anything, almost anything, yeah, actually anything, and we'll answer it. We might give you a PC answer uh, or a or a friendly answer, uh, but we'll answer anything. So I have uh, the Twitter questions, and Walter has the Instagram questions. So on Twitter, from Waltimus, I don't know who this guy is, but he says, "What's a Hollywood? <laughs> what's what's a Hollywood? And what's the deal deal with showers on the submarine?" Also, love Walter. JT's all right. So I, I'm thinking this might be somebody I know. I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. First off, uh, at 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 Waltimus, <laughs> at, at Waltimus. Uh, is it just at Waltimus? I think that's uh, at, his Twitter. At Waltimus right? underscore. Uh, Waltimus underscore. Yeah, man. Sounds like a good dude. Yeah, pro- good. probably a really good dude. So, uh, what's a Hollywood? Um, well, I I don't know. I I was uh, let's say let's let's defer you, Walter. You're from SoCal, you know, from the Hollywood area. I'm uh, uh, I'm from Orange I'm County, area, but that's okay. so I, I don't know. What's a Hollywood? Well, on a submarine, a Hollywood is a shower that is taking a little too long. Yeah. If you take a, if you take a shower that's a, that's a little too long, there's only a couple showers on a submarine. There's a lower level head. What's uh, a head? Lower level. A head is a uh head is, a, is the bathroom on a submarine. Why do they call there's it a head? A, because it's uh in the head of the boat. Actually, it's I don't not. Know. I don't know. It is. It's in the cone. Well, yeah, that's true. But do you know why so, they call it a head? No, I don't. This is I'm gonna like do a reverse engineering of Walter. This is like where Jeopardy Walter comes out and says, "Oh, the history of the head comes back from 1947." I, I have no idea. I, I don't know where the head or head. Started. So actually, at the in the in the olden days when they built ships, they put the the bathroom at the front of the ship, at the head of the ship, and so because what of would the I, draft. Yes. Yes. So that everyone could smell the uh, yes. yes, yes. Well, I I actually did know that. Yeah. I did know that. Do you know why they call Marines jarheads? Because um, they put their head in a jar. No, it's not true. That's not true. That's a common wives' tale. Just kidding. That doesn't. No one. No one's ever said that. <laughs> I know. No, uh, back in the day, because you know how Marines are part of the the Department of the Navy. Yeah. Uh, Marines originally. When the Navy first started, they manned the batteries on ships, and so they would man the the, uh, the cannons and and things like that on board uh, war vessels. And when they would shoot the batteries, when they would shoot these uh, these these guns, they would the the bulkhead or the overhead was so low they would physically jar their heads in the overhead because Ooh. the concussion the 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 uh, yeah the concussion of the uh, of the shock, so they would hit their heads on the on the overhead, and that's why they called them jarheads. Wow. So there's your Jeopardy, Jeopardy insight. I think I made up for that. But anyway, um, so on the submarine, uh, 
if you take because there's limited amounts of water, yeah. ironically, despite having so much water outside, it takes a lot of energy and uh, time to actually purify the water to make it potable. Submarine, uh, if you take a shower that's literally longer than a minute, it's called a Hollywood. They um, the first thing that they do when you get to a submarine is they teach you how to take a shower um, by telling you, you turn on the water. Get wet, turn off the water, lather up, turn on the water, rinse off, turn off the water, get out. And, uh, yeah, if you take a shower that's longer than a minute, people will bang on the door and say, uh, get out of there, Hollywood. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually uh, call you on the carpet on your jarhead, okay? No, oh, that's what I was told. <laughs> I think you might be wrong. I don't know, maybe I, or not. You, the internet, you not? the interwebs, oh. says... Okay. For roughly 50 years, sailors had little luck in their effort to insult Marines by calling them gyrenes. So, during World War II, sailors began referring to Marines as jarheads. Presumably, the high color on the Marine dress blues uniform made a Marine's head look like it was sticking out of the top of a mason jar. That's a good one, too. Marines were not insulted. Instead, they embraced the new moniker as a term of utmost respect. That's from... Uh, Interesting. I, maybe it's I from a Marine that. Corps website too. Where did I hear Jarhead from? I'm gonna look this up. That was such a convincing story. It's it's a good story. It's Doesn't on the internet. Like... Every every set on the internet is legit, right? Mm, no. No. Come on. Really? Um. Uh, ding 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 bong, bong, bong. Think about how many people it took to put the internet together. Uh, Hollywood and Walter's wrong in flat news flash. Walter's wrong for the first time ever documented on Diver Tough in his Jeopardy conquest. Um, That's what I heard, man. Someone, I guess, uh, I guess that was. I'm a little shocked. A little shocked. Stupid internet. You're a shocked that I. You're a little shocked that I called you on the carpet over it, huh? I'm not talking to you. <laughs> Anyway, back to fan questions. Let's, back to uh, fan questions. So Hollywood showers are long showers that you take on the boat, and if you take one of these showers, uh, somebody comes in and knocks on the door and says, hey, what are you doing? Stop taking a Hollywood shower with some mm. expletives in there. So how's the Instagram questions coming along? Instagram. So what do we have on Instagram? Uh, first question is from David Niedermeyer, uh, who is a tw uh, 20 years old. Uh, and is in the German Navy. Ooh, another international so, uh, David, uh, danke für Ihre Frage. <laughs> I mean, thank you for your question. Oh. In, uh, in German. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Ah, we, oui, we. Oui. Uh, yeah, so first That means off, do what? you speak German. That means do you speak German. <laughs> you said no. I said yes in, I said yes in French. Si, senor. Uh, so first off, we have a we had we had a guy on the sub named Brandolf Wolfgang Schleiper. Yeah, that's his actual name too. Is uh he, he was a uh, he's German obviously, in that his his parents are German, full blooded German. He was fluent in German, and what I would do, he taught me the German on the uh, displays in control. So any LCD display that we had, he taught me what uh, all the German, if you switch the language over for the settings, oh, wow. uh, the automatic settings, the automatische Einstellung. <laughs> uh, he taught you, me all the colors. You could, you could change those? Yeah, yeah, Sprachesfall. You could change the Sprachesfall on the uh, 
<laughs> on the displays. And uh, he taught me all the German to change all the settings. Uh, root, grün, and blau. That's red, green, blue. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would change these settings when voice would come on. So that all the settings were just completely black. And they were in German. So he had to figure out how to change it back in German. So I knew the automatic settings or... I knew all, I knew all the all the terms and automatic setting was automatische Einstellung. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so I knew the the settings in that. Anyway, David Niedermeyer, great question. Would you say that fuel cells will replace nuclear reactors in future submarine generations? Uh, he's got a couple other questions. And is a small sub with a fuel cell more effective in relatively shallow waters like the Baltic Sea than a nuclear sub, which is bigger but probably better equipped? So uh, fuel cells in terms of uh, replacing nuclear reactors. What do you think? What's your thoughts? I mean, you're... So my, my initial reaction would be no. Um, I think that maybe for a specific platform of boats, maybe, you know, if there was a specific type of emission that they were going to be doing, then maybe. But I would think that if you're going to de design an entire fleet, probably not mm -hmm. the most efficient and effective. But that being mm -hmm. said, um, would somebody in the 1800 or the early 1900s thought nuclear power would have been the pr the primary, you know, method for submarine propulsion? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Well, so I mean, who, who knows? I mean, the, the advances in technology, like you think about Tesla and what they've accomplished with the electric car and they've, mm -hmm. they've brought a lot of relevance to electric cars. So could there be a similar, um, you know, revolution in terms of, yeah. you know, yeah. advancements in technology and submarine force? Sure. There, well, I mean, there's, uh, so there is a, there is a battery well, on a submarine, yeah, um, and we can run off the batteries for a certain amount of time. So uh, submarines previous to the nuclear power submarines, they all ran off of fuel cells, basically. They mm -hmm. ran off of uh, batteries. And, and what would happen is that um, there's a couple benefits uh, to a battery-powered submarine. Um, what would happen is these, uh, these battery-powered submarines were very, very quiet, and they still have battery-powered submarines in the German Navy, uh, as well as um, you know we're talking kilos. Is it kilos? Oh no, kilos are Russian. Kilos, yeah, those are nuclear-powered. Are they? Are they? Two oh nines. Yeah. Two oh nines, I think, are German submarines. All right. Uh, but um, they they do have uh, battery-powered submarines, which are very very quiet. However. They they have a limited capacity to operate underwater before they have to before you know the the oxygen generators and the uh, the EOG the electrolytic oxygen generators yeah, and the, it is uh, a it scrubbers. is a it is a electric uh, diesel electric yeah in Which Russia one? the kilo the two kilo class oh, the kilo yep. yeah uh, yeah and so uh, you know running all this life this atmosphere equipment. Uh, will will drain the batteries and then eventually you'll have to come up. So uh, submarines back in the day would do what's called a stop and drop maneuver um, back in World War II and and, and uh, more recent wars as well, uh, is where they would when they're detected they would stop and then they would drop to the bottom of the ocean floor basically and or you know they they'd hover or maintain depth based on their ballast tanks um, and they would just sit there and wait and what would happen is 
surface ships would depth charge them until they had to come up because they have to come up to operate all that equipment and get rid of all that deadly CO2 gas. Um, they'd come up, start the diesel generators, and do what's called the snorkel procedure, and they would take in oxygen and recirculate the boat. So there's benefits to it, uh, but it's a finite amount of time that you can be underwater. Uh, they are they are more quiet. Um, you run into problems like hydrogen buildup. Hydrogen yeah. buildup uh, can you know lead to explosions, which have hap- which has happened several times. Uh, the Seawolf had a hydrogen buildup explosion in their battery well, where they had to they um they had to get someone medevaced uh, because of it. But um, there's benefits to having fuel cells. Hydrogen being the uh, you know, being that explosive gas, that's the, one of the biggest drawbacks. Also, the finite amount of times. I don't think, you know, I think, um, I don't think uh, with nuclear power being as safe as it is, I don't think that we would switch yeah. from that. But uh, very, very good question. Very good question. I don't yeah. think, uh, and we, we've done littoral ops, or, you know, shallow water ops um, with with uh, with our you know bigger submarines um, and. The nuclear reactor hasn't been an issue. The biggest thing with the nuclear reactors is the reactor coolant pumps uh, are very, very loud when they when they when yeah. they get going. It sounds like you get into a car accident when they when they when the reactor coolant pump comes turns on. Everyone knows every submariner knows the sound of a reactor coolant pump. Great question, David Niedermeyer. Danke. Um, yeah. And the next question, deep sea Nikki B at uh, Diver Tough. Do divers work closely with any specific rate, sonar tech, EOD, SEALs, etc.? Um, this is more of a Navy diver, yeah. deep sea diver question, mm-hmm. um, but still a question nonetheless. Um, if you're going to be a scuba diver, obviously it's a, a collateral duty on a submarine. You are the one of uh, four ships, um, typically four ships divers. Um, and you do all the operations uh, with ourselves. We've worked with EOD before and just doing uh, standard stuff like security swims. Work worked with deep sea divers uh, before, um, but we usually work in rate. Work with sonar as well. We you yeah. know, pull in their tow rays and all that stuff. And uh, seals, we don't really work with. They they're they're trained above and beyond what we're we're trained to do. So they take care of themselves. If you are a deep sea diver, whether it's Charlie Crew or or actual ship's husbandry type deep sea diver, you definitely work with the EOD in, in some aspects. And, and there's some deep sea divers that have worked with that will work with seals for the um, uh, ASDS Advanced Seal Delivery System, those big uh, seal carrying mini submarine SDV. Yeah. Um, you'll work with the SDV teams, uh, the um, SEAL teams that work with those mini submarines um, to deploy those. So that yeah, there is there are opportunities for divers to work with SEALs and, and every other rate. So good question, Deep Sea Nikki B. I believe he's going into uh, the dive pipeline. You have anything to add to that last question? No, you did a good job. All right, Nothing thank else. you, sir. Next question is from World underscore Military underscore News. I'm very curious to see how much of this question we can actually answer because most of it sounds mm-hmm. like most of it sounds like this person may or may not be a spy, and they may <laughs> or may not be trying to get us to reveal information about our government. First question from this person is: um, What kind of secrets can you tell? Oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> 
What kind of radar slash sonar does your sub use? Uh, probably classified. Probably we shouldn't <laughs> really go into that. Uh, we use radar and we use sonar. We use sonar. Yeah, yeah, we use both. And 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 if you don't know what radar is, look it up on Google. And if Not you don't know what sonar is, hey, look it up on easy, Google. Easy. It's one of our followers. <laughs> I know. I'm just messing around. I'm just messing right. around. Um, yeah, we probably can't say the types of radar and sonar that we use, but we 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 do use passive and active sonar. Yep. Um, we listen and we actively go out and, and try to identify noises. Active sonar is when you hear the uh, when you hear boom, but it doesn't actually sound like that. It actually goes. It sounds like R two D two. Yeah. It's a bunch of different frequencies. Uh, think of echolocation that a bat would use. A bat when a bat makes that noise that it makes, it's actually shooting out a sound, and that sound gets reflected off of objects because bats are basically blind. Um, and it and the sound is coming back. It's reverberating and it's, it's creating a scene, an image. Same with a porpoise. Porpoise uses. Or a porpoise or a dolphin will use sonar mm-hmm. in the same aspect where it makes a noise, that noise will bounce back, and then it'll uh, interpret that noise. And so that's that's active sonar. We don't, we actually don't use active sonar a ton. Uh, passive sonar is when you're just listening. You're, you're listening for different frequencies and li- listening for different tones, different convergence zones, different depths and layers of water. Um, sonar is absolutely the, the most fascinating thing in the world uh, yeah. because you get you know, when you get to the point where JT and I have gotten in terms of uh, identifying sounds and things like that, uh, it's really neat to, to just look at something on a sonar display and go, Hey, this thing, this thing is coming at us at this direction, at this speed. Um, this is their angle on the bow. This is the, the, the angle at which they're coming towards or away from us. Uh, it's very interesting that, you know, you can just look at this display and you can just interpret based on the passive sonar, you know, sonar again is very cool where they'll, they'll be able to interpret how far away something is, the bearing, uh, the direction at which they hear the sound, how many blades the propeller has on the on the on the shaft of that screw, yeah. um, and the type of vessel, even down to the tonalities of the diesel engine, where they they know the exact model of diesel engine that's operating. Yeah, based on the frequency of the sound and all that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. it is it is absolutely crazy. Sonar definitely is one of those. Um, yep. systems on the boat that's real really cool yeah yeah ra- radar uh, you know a lot of the radar we use is just commercial off the shelf yeah yeah so, keep in mind we're, some, yeah, we're submarines some, so. yeah there's some secret stuff too yeah. um, and then it says weapons what kind of weapons do we have tomahawks and ad caps torpedoes can't tell you can't tell you much more than that yeah uh, we yeah but we have uh, we have tomahawk we have cruise missile capabilities and we have uh, torpedo capabilities. Does it have jamming equipment? Do we have jamming equipment? Can't tell you that. Uh, and how many kilograms of jamming or at what hertz? So uh, I think he's talking kilohertz. Um, so can't tell you that either. <laughs> can you spe- can you can your specific class or sub get any upgrades in the future, like stealth, for example? No caterpillar drives. Um, can't tell you. Much more than that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this, uh, wow, this is really uh, sifting for information. Wow. I was like, I, there's not a ton I can tell you, buddy. Or build whole new halls with other mater- materials similar to the Russian Bore subs. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Uh, what are superior? What Russian sub can be compared to your class? By the way, what sub do you operate in? Ohio class. We were in the San Juan, San Juan class of submarine, which is a fast attack submarine, 688I class submarine, the USS Toledo, which is a VLS vertical launch system, uh, Tomahawk carrying bad A mother F yes. uh, submarine. And that's, uh, that's about it. We were not an Ohio class. Ohio class submarines are boomers. Yeah. Uh, are you satisfied with those answers? I am. I'm satisfied. I, I don't think we got ourselves in trouble. So that's good. All right. Uh, Carlo underscore with underscore no underscore S. Carlo with no S. Um, uh, who is the odds-on favorite to win World Stuffest Mutter this year? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Well, we'll have Amelia Boone on at some point in the podcast, and she'll answer that question herself. My money is always on Amelia. Interesting. Anyway, World Stuffest Mutter is a 24-hour obstacle course race that JT will be doing um, within the next mm, three years. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah right? I agree. Um, I've done it a couple times, and uh, it's a, a 24-hour obstacle course race. Amelia Boone has won it three times in a row. She's, you know, she always gets like 70, 70 80 miles uh, in that 24 hours, including the obstacles. I, I pick her uh, yeah. because she, uh, she does pretty well. Um, and then as far as dudes are concerned, Ryan Atkins, I guess. Yeah, he's probably he's pretty good. Pack is... Pack, uh, Junior Pack, he's, uh, hasn't done all that hot in the past couple of years. Yeah. Uh, the cold gets to him because he doesn't have, he doesn't have any body fat. It's done in the winter. Um, cold gets to him. Um, and, uh, Ryan Atkins, he's, he's usually getting a hundred, hundred miles at a time. Good question. Carlo with no S. Uh, Danimal underscore chaosum. I think is uh, Dan is a uh, he's a chief in the navy. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your best port call sailor story? I'll let you take this one. Port call sailor story. Favorite port call and why? Favorite port call uh, probably La Maddalena, Italy, mm-hmm. and uh, not because I have a particularly great sea story. Um, I just love that area. I mean, it's it was it was a really good it was a working port, and and for those of you that don't know what a working port is, it wasn't a Liberty port per se. Um, we we were pulled a, alongside a tender, and we had to do maintenance and things like that when we were we were in port. But it was very light work, so there was a lot of liberty involved. And the thing I liked about it, it was just it was so relaxed there. I mean, you could just go out and just chill and. Have a cup of coffee and sit on a terrace somewhere, and then go have a nice dinner and somebody look like somebody's house, and it was phenomenal food. And I mean, it was just, it was so relaxing. It would, literally, it was, it was very, um, it was recharging. Um, mm-hmm. That was yeah, my, was one that of, was my favorite. I don't, I don't have any like, I burned, we somebody burned a building down, or you know, there was a typical, there was a typical drunk stories, you know, people getting too drunk, but. Um, yeah, that was that was one of my my uh, more memorable ones. I still say to this day, I'm gonna go back there while I'm a civilian before I die. Um, I yeah, think it'd be a good Italy. place to go on vacation. It's Italy in general. Yeah, that that's that's the country. Yeah, 
I am. Um, yeah, no, I loved Italy. Italy was one of the best. Bahrain, oh, yeah. uh, where we got held up at gunpoint. That was fun. Yeah, I got put on liberty risk in yeah. in Bahrain. That was that was for potentially causing an international incident. That was a mark of honor for me. <laughs> we were in Port Canaveral when the Columbia was oh. supposed to land, and the Columbia yeah. ended up uh, exploding. And um, yeah, so just a ton of port calls. Mm. That's the thing. That's the thing about being a submariner. Submariners are the last bastion of like port call stories. Yeah, you and I have plenty of port call stories. There's a lot of good things in port calls. I mean, we could talk about port calls until the cows come home. And uh, but yeah, mine mine was La Madalena for the simplicity of it. Uh, not a lot of shenanigans. And um, yeah, so. Yep. Um, so great, great question. Thanks, Danimal Chaosum. Danimal underscore Chaosum. Thanks everyone for uh, the great questions. We'll we'll do another segment of fan questions at some point, but we appreciate it. And uh, that concludes that uh, portion of the episode. Awesome. So shall we go to the news? Let's. Uh, there's some really good uh, news stories this week, and two of them are very related. One of them just came out today, so we're going to talk mm-hmm. about Russia and mm. their close calls with U.S. military vessels. So I think we're both in agreement on this one. Yeah, we are. It just kind of it's interesting to talk. I don't know if you heard about the second one though. So you heard about the one that. Uh, the Russian fighter jet buzzed a U.S. Navy destroyer, USS Donald Cook. And, you know, obviously it, the news story tells itself, you know, Russian what, wait, fighter, where, where were they at? Where were they at? So they in were in the Bal- Baltic Sea. They were in the Baltic Sea. And the article from ABC News, Russian fighter jets overflew a U.S. Navy destroyer in the Baltic Sea almost two dozen times earlier this week with one pass at 30 feet from the ship, causing a wake in the waters nearby. So the fighter, fighters ignored repeated communications from the American ship, and the ship's captain labeled the Russian overflights as unsafe and unprofessional. So you had a pair of Russian Su-24 fighters uh, overflying, overflew. They overflew the the destroyer USS Donald Cook at close range, while it was in international waters in the Baltic Sea, seventy miles off of Russia. So, you have that, and then today. Well, okay. Let me be a uh, devil's advocate, uh, li- the liberal here. What were we doing so close to the Russian base, man? We were in international waters. Stupid liberal. Hey, man. They uh, they have a they have every right to protect themselves. But they're they're over international waters too, bro. Yeah, yeah. Do they do they have a right to fly within an un, unsafe distance or? It's international waters. It's international waters, man. There's no rules internationally. Can't uh-huh. argue with them, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say I can't argue with an idiot. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. Just can't do it. Um, so today I found out this article. I was looking out. For for the news, uh, another aerial close call as Russian Russian jet barrel rolls over U.S. aircraft. So a United States Air Force reconnaissance plane was barrel rolled by a Russian jet over the Baltic Sea during a routine flight in international airspace. So you have a Russian jet going in very close proximity to a naval ship, 
And then a few days later, you have a Russian jet uh, barrel rolling over a reconnaissance plane. Good so, old, uh, good old Russia. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely poking that. You know, it's like uh, waking the sleeping giant. You know, yeah. you know, you got some some guy sleeping there in his couch, and he looks like a big dude, and he's just kind of you know relaxed. And you got this kid or some annoying person coming up and poking them just to see if you can agitate them. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we are uh, we're still sleeping. We're not going to do anything about it. So except. We're gonna wake up and be like, "Hey, man, don't do that. You're uh, you're you're infringing on my my territory, man." That's all we're gonna do. Yeah. Well, I mean, what, what would have what what would have we gotten out of uh, shooting down that plane? Well, we would have gotten ourselves into a war. That would have no. been that, that definitely would have been a, that would have definitely been a. Um, we would probably don't need a war with Russia. We don't need a war with Russia. We don't need a war with Russia. I'm I'm not advocating that. But I would well, say um, I would say like if if somebody it's like a bully, okay? If uh if if you're in lunch line, if you're in the lunch line and you're in school and a bully repeatedly uh you know goes in front of you in line or steals your lunch money, are you just going to, you know, say, "You know what? The guy's uh stronger than me. He's more braggadocious uh he's more whatever he's got more testosterone you just gonna let him do that you become yeah. a sissy over time if you let people do that no you don't well I yeah you kind of disagree well no you don't you don't become you don't become a, i'm not saying you become a sissy over time what i'm saying is that the i believe you just said you become a sissy over yeah time. i know i'm I'm, I'm, reneging, I'm, re- I'm, I'm reneging on that okay i'm saying you don't become a sissy but what does that do to your your moral character if you get completely you get you get caught by a bully all the time well yeah i mean it, it's annoying yeah and it's, yeah it's, uh it's not fun yeah i'm sure that does but, something denigrating to you as a as a human so you look at that from a from a global perspective or from a national perspective if you have a country that comes out there and keeps poking you and poking you and poking you and you don't do really anything different. in return that's why your logic is a little different than mine for me for someone who's been picked on yeah, you get picked on uh, all the time. Even when you're like, think about when you're driving and people are just kind of acting like tough guys, and they know that you're not going to do anything with their car, and so they're being awful in their driving method and they're tailgating or they're cutting you off or anything like that. Same thing in terms of in in person. If someone's yeah. picking on you or provoking you, it doesn't mean that you can't defend yourself. No, I agree. And but what does that get? What what does it get you when it when it comes down to Okay, let's get into a fight with this person. You know, I've had on several occasions, I've had people tell me to pull over my car, and it doesn't mean I'm afraid to fight them. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. There's very few people I'm afraid to fight, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that we're we're not capable. And that's why you know, uh, Felix, I love you, buddy. Um, but Felix, he posted, you know, this is what our military has gone down to. It's uh, we're, we're we're now the laughing stock. We're pussies. We should have done something. I, I completely disagree with that. And I think our, our military today is better than it's ever been, uh, and and at any other time, it's tougher than it's ever been. We're stronger than we've ever been. Um, just because we can't pull the trigger in terms of in terms of politics or whatever it is, doesn't mean we're wrong. It doesn't mean that we're weak. Yeah, but would we would we do something? Would we do the equivalent to a Russian 
ship or a Russian reconnaissance plane? No, we wouldn't because it's because it's stupid. Okay, so it's stu- it, it's, they were doing something to prove their point, their braggadocious point. Just just like that guy in in high school was doing something to to show off to his friends and say, "Hey, look how tough I am." It really doesn't. The gesture doesn't mean a whole lot to in terms of the authority that you hold and the capabilities that you have. I don't disagree 100%. Dumb, dumb, dumb countries are going to do dumb things. North Korea is always going to show... Every time North Korea has these failed launches and these, uh, these, these attempts, we are going to smack down the United States. We are going to show you that we are tougher than you and da-da-da-da-da. And but everyone knows North Korea is kind of a laughing stock. We're not, Russia's, we're, we're not Russia's jump really on. not laughing stock, though. Russia's not a laughing stock, but they're not going to do anything. They're, they're not doing do it, anything, they're, but it's like they're doing it because that's their personality. That yeah, that is true. that is their that is, character yeah. ego in the in the rule of law. Yeah, they no. need to do those things to show the world that they're still relevant. Yeah. Their their country and their, and their their economy and their country is still in shambles. It's booming a little bit more because of the mafia and uh, <laughs> drug trade and and illegal arms and things like that. But that's. That's what they have. They don't have infrastructure, yeah. um, you know, supporting them. So they're going to do those stupid things. Uh, why would we do something to a country that doesn't have the capabilities like we do? There, there's no point in provoking a war with them. There's nothing to gain out of it. It's not. We're not showing any signs of weakness just because we're not shooting down a plane. Or I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what these people expect. And it, it, it makes me upset because I don't know what people expect us to do. Do they expect us to shoot down that plane and start a war? Is that no, what they I don't, want? I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think that reasonable people expect that. But, I mean, what should same, we have done? I mean, I, no, I, no it's, I, don't, I don't know that we should have done anything. I'm not saying that we should. I, I actually, um, after this conversation, I think I agree more with you than maybe some of the other pundits in the media. I mean, I, you, have a, you have some really good points. I mean – yeah, right. They're not they're not really trying to accomplish anything outside of getting us riled up. Um oh. but at the end of the day, you know, this is the stuff that I'm like, really? Why here's the thing. Why can't some no no John Kerry went out, you know, Secretary of State, he went out and he said he condemned the you know, the actions. And he was right. He was right that we, we could have shot down that plane. Absolutely. We absolutely could have shot and shot down. We would have been within our shot down the plane. Yeah, totally within well, our right. Well, I, I've got a news article. Ooh, I like it. You ready for this? Yep, I'm ready. You're in San Francisco. Yep. So this should be some sort of news. Fears of the big one as five major earthquakes Ooh. strike Asia in just 72 hours. Yep. And there's one in Ecuador big, today that was 7.8. Yeah. The latest quake this morning, measuring 7.3 on the Richter scale, injured more than 1,000 people and trapped people in collapsed buildings only a day after the quake killed nine people in the same region. Uh, this is the island of Kyushu in, uh, in Japan. The, initially, it was a 6.5 earthquake, uh, killed some people. And then an aftershock of 7.3 uh, just annihilated the country. And then, just like you said, Ecuador, another earthquake. The big one. Do you think the big one is coming? Well, I don't know that. I don't know if anybody knows that. But All right. Well, that that ends this news article. No, that's oh, – ah, yeah, yeah. I mean, earthquakes are 
you know, the thing about an earthquake, if you look at a natural, like other types of natural disasters, like a hurricane or a fire or a tornado, um, things like that, you can see them coming. You, you can't. Yeah. You can't see earthquakes coming until. Mm. I mean, they. Ha- I know they have all these sensors, you know, in well, the in the ground watched... that that senses certain things. But literally, it's it's not like obviously you can you the tsunami that would come after that you can detect. Yeah. But I, the I, actual earthquake, can you detect that? Yeah, I watched. Uh, there was a scientist. His name is Paul Giamatti. Uh, in San San Andreas, San Andreas, yeah, he developed, he a, developed system. a system, <laughs> yeah, where he could detect uh, the earthquake. Just can that's that's from the movie San Andreas. Uh, but uh, on Thursday, the Japanese Red Cross uh, at Kumamoto Hospital confirmed 45 were injured, including five with serious injuries after a quake of magnitude 6.2 and 6.5, and a series of strong infrastructure ripped through Kumamoto City. Um, scientists say there's been an above-average a- number of significant earthquakes across South Asia and the Pacific since the start of the year. The increased frequency has sparked fears of a repeat of the Nepal quake of 2015, where 8,000 people died, or even worse. Roger Billum, seismologist of University of Colorado, say the current conditions might trigger at least four earthquakes greater than 8.0 in magnitude. Cool. So, and if the delay, the strain accumulated during the centuries provokes uh, more catastrophic mega earthquakes. And and keep in mind, the difference between a 7.8 and an 8 is significant. Like people say, oh, it's only 0.2, but it's logarithmic. You know, we I think we yeah. had this discussion before. We did, we did, yeah. Um, it's, it's not like, oh, it's only 0.2. Well, the magnitude is significantly higher. Yeah, it's ten times. Was it ten times higher every yeah, time? Yeah, something like that. Up? Every point one or something like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Uh, nothing crazy, but the fact that you had an aftershock that was bigger than the actual initial tremor, that's a little frightening. Yeah. Um, less frightening for me being on this side of the this side of the world. Sure. Maybe a little bit more frightening for you, but. Yeah. No, I think about it. I do. I literally think about it. You know, because. I work in San Francisco and I live in the East Bay and um it's Question. definitely I think about it all the time like if there was an earthquake what? how would I get home Well here's a question for you What have you done to prepare What have you done in case of this situation have you talked to uh your wife mm-hmm. I have daughter yeah. Okay I have. have you put a plan into place in case you couldn't meet together Uh Informally, but we haven't thought about the idea of phones not working. Okay. So there should probably be a contingency plan around that. All right. And what? This uh, might be a what, really good time to do that. What supplies do you guys have? In case we, of we have enough. The big. Yeah, we have we have enough supplies. I mean, as far as water and all that stuff, we have plenty of that. Um, I have ingenuity, which can go a long way. Um, mm, yeah, but a lot of people. I know how to rob a store. I can. I can always. <laughs> don't talk like that, man. You don't. You don't want to rob places. You want no, to put I'm yourself. Just, in I'm just like that? wanting to see if I could get something. I'm not. I'm not like that. I would go eat bugs before I robbed a store. You know. Me. There's so many things you can do. So many things. Yeah. I have, when, uh, I have when, dogs, when, I could. You know. When Sandy hit the uh, when Sandy hit New Jersey. Yeah. Secretly, I was so happy. Two yeah. weeks without power, I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. 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 So that was that was my news story. No, that's a good that's a good that's a good news story. I think 
I think disaster preparedness or emergency preparedness is something that people really don't take seriously. And that's why chaos ensues when... Can you imagine if everybody was required to have a disaster readiness plan in their house? Chaos would almost go away in the event of a natural disaster. It would almost go away. Well, I mean, it's one thing to have that uh, the plan, but the other one, the, the other thing is to act on it. Right, but I'm saying if in theory, let's just say everybody had a plan and they knew how to execute on it. If if in the case that something bad happened, yeah, chaos automatically goes away. Yeah, that's why Japan is so good with all these things. They're they're so good with disa- like recovering from emergencies and disasters. Mm-hmm. You never see them asking for help. They've turned down the Red Cross for help. Yeah, and we have we have a, a whole we have a whole we have whole government um, entities that are responsible for this and spend billions of dollars every year on our taxpayer dollars trying to educate people, and it doesn't happen. So I just take these things into my own hands. You do. So. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think it, I think it pays to be just a little bit prepared. I'm not saying be like a prepper. Don't, uh, don't be a prepper. Yeah. Just have enough. Just have enough to get you through that period where you have to think about what right. what comes next. Have enough for two or three days mm-hmm. or a week, where you know of sustaining all on your own without power, without communication. Yep. Have something in place for that. Have some sort of communication process in place for that. I agree. Uh, for me, I've got shortwave communication. I've got uh, you know dry stores and, and uh, water purification and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's an, uh, for me. That's enough. That's yep. that's what I need, and that's enough. And I've got specific bags designated for that stuff, and that's you know, and I'm comfortable. Yeah. And I know in those. Three days to a week, I can kind of formulate a plan and kind of identify what the next steps are. Yeah, if you have to worry about yeah, if you have to worry about one day, yeah, that's bad. That's bad. Well, you don't. Well, that's the thing. You don't know if you have to worry. I mean, if you're not prepared at all, you yeah. know, and you've got nothing in place, you don't have any. Uh, you don't have any. Um, you know, like I showed you my little my my battery stored yeah. my my portable sure. batteries and all that stuff. If you don't yeah. have this stuff. Yeah. You know, when the power goes out, just simple thing, little simple things like a portable battery, um, you're gonna be you're gonna be in a hard place. Yep, yep. So, Candles. learning learning lessons from Diver Tough tonight. Uh, don't carry machetes in New York. Yep. And uh, have a have a bug out bag with a machete in it. Yeah, yeah, and not in New York though. <laughs> not not in New York though. But you yeah. might have like a really long knife. All right. So go to Instagram, go to Twitter, keep doing our normal stuff. We appreciate all the interactive connectivity that we have with you folks. So for JT on the West Coast and Walter on the East Coast, Diver Tough. Well, it's dripping so hot, it's giving me a heart attack. A